0: Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast. And Pro Football Hall of Famer, The General, Sean McClain. Welcome,
1: welcome to Utopia.
2: Hey, everybody. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. It is the Utopia Football Podcast, Week 16 preview edition. We'll do our pregame six pack here shortly on the Texans and the Titans in Nashville in what are going to be some pretty frigid temperatures which will be the norm, actually, in the NFL in week 16. Six different venues are going to have temperatures in the single digits. So it is a uh, it is a, a white Christmas uh, weekend of football around the NFL. We'll get to the Texans and the Titans shortly. We'll do a little for real or fugazi, as we always do on the third podcast each week. Uh, my name is Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610. Joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, And our senior Texans columnist at SportsRadio610.com and GallerySports.com as well, John McClain. And, John, we we have a couple things we need to get into before we get into Texans and Titans that I think are a little more pressing. And they both came down, I think, while most everybody was sleeping. One is a a pretty amazing baseball story, and the other one is a sad and somewhat eerie story in football. Let's start with the football one uh, out of respect to the great Franco Harris, who – Passes away at the age of 72. Um, it was reported this morning. Um, so p- passed away over the last day or so, which is is pretty crazy um, when you think about uh, we're two days away from the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, which, of course, Franco Harris was the uh, signature part of that most famous play in NFL history. And the league and the Steelers were getting ready to celebrate That play and Franco Harris, there's a football life documentary coming out about the play in the next couple of days. Um, The Steelers were getting ready to honor Franco Harris before the game uh, this weekend against the Raiders of all teams, which is the opponent against whom the immaculate reception happened back in 1972. And you, of course, John, you're you're, uh, a member of the Hall of Fame committee. I know Franco Harris's induction predates you being part of that, but Nobody's a bigger football historian than you. So what was your reaction when you saw the news about Franco Harris?
1: First, I thought of the timing. The football Life comes out Friday night. And I thought, you know, I hadn't heard anything about him being in bad health. And his son told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that he died at home. So we don't know if he had an illness or he died in his sleep or what. But, boy, there's a lot of football fans, especially – in uh, pennsylvania who are devastated because it caught everyone off guard and as you mentioned the 50th anniversary of the immaculate reception named by myron cope their longtime broadcaster doing color i did myron's radio weekly show his pregame show many times through the years it was always such a kick to do it because he had such a distinctive voice also created the terrible talent. And, and uh, one one of the many stories about Franco Harris, and you know, he played against the love your Blue Oilers in a really physical, uh, AFC South, AFC Central rivalry because both teams were really good. You know, others might have gone to a couple Super Bowls if they hadn't had to go to Pittsburgh for the AFC Championship game after the '78 and '79 seasons in which they lost. But there was great respect in that rivalry, and right before Robert Brazil, Doctor Doom was uh, not, was elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Franco Harris came to Canton when we had a seniors meeting and spent two days with five of us on that committee. And he was such a strong proponent of robert brazil you know they played robert was a rookie in 75 franco 72 so they played twice a season they played playoff games so he was very familiar with him and i don't know that robert would have made the hall of fame because when i made the presentation the next year i made sure to make franco harris's his opinions Hmm. and his tribute and his praise for robert a prominent part of my presentation to the committee and robert knows that so boy a lot of people a lot of family fans friends of franco harris are sure gonna miss him
0: yeah
2: um no no doubt about that just an absolute pittsburgh icon for an iconic franchise john you know like there's there's so many things that that when something like this happens and a member that steel curtain pittsburgh team i know the steel curtain was the defense but that's that's what we kind of call them those steelers of the 70s the greatest team of that decade um i mean john i went back and looked and um through 19 from 1969 through 1974 those drafts they drafted nine hall of famers and as you pointed out on Payne and pendergast today There was a 10th one that was undrafted. And that was back when the draft was – what did you say, 17 rounds back then, 17 rounds in
1: 1974 when they drafted four Hall of Famers and signed safety Donnie Schell as a free agent. Five Hall of Famers in one class, 10 over the course of
2: six draft – you know, six off-seasons. And, John, if if a team in six seasons – forget about nowadays, any days, anytime. If you draft six – if you draft ten pro bowlers – in six years you're laughing you know what I mean like you you have you have shot the moon at that point if you draft 10 guys that are foundational players pro bowl or not over the course of six drafts guys that you keep for second contracts and things like that that's pretty good he drafted or signed in the case of Donnie Shell, 10 in a in
1: a six-year period that's incredible It was, and I don't think we'll ever see that again. Of course, it's because they won four Super Bowls in six years. A lot of people think the Immaculate Reception jump-started their Super Bowl run, but it didn't. Miami won that year Mm -hmm. with its unbeaten season. But then they got on that roll, and they were the worst team in the NFL for decades under the Rooney family, a laughingstock. And when they hired Chuck Knoll, a longtime lineman, to be the head coach. And they drafted Terry Bradshaw from Louisiana Tech. People thought just more losing was on the way. And then when they started adding those other pieces, it was amazing. To me, when you look at the Hall of Famers and what they accomplished, you know they were much more dominant than the Patriots or the Cowboys or the Dolphins. But one thing they didn't have to deal with, I often wondered, if Chuck Knoll had free agency, would he have kept, swan or stalwart yep. lambert or ham he mm. never had to make those decisions and they had those players for as long as they wanted them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and boy not only you know the nfl wasn't built around speed then it was size physicality the rules are so much different mel blount hall of fame cornerback they had was six three and you don't see that anymore but those teams were so physical and they ran the ball and Bradshaw threw it deep because he had a great arm and great wide receivers. And I don't know, I don't say that we're never going to see another team compiling hall of famers in a short period of time, like those Steelers of the steel curtain.
2: No, the salary cap won't allow for that to happen uh, for sure. Unless you just draft off the charts, find young players who ascend that quickly, but you're right. It's, It's an impossibility. We're net. We will never, ever see that again. Um, And I I guess the other thing, just for me personally, um, as far as the Steelers go, look, I was born in Pittsburgh. My first team, my first NFL team that I loved was the Steelers of the seventies. I was born in 1969. So the only thing I remember about, I don't remember the immaculate reception other than my dad talking about it a few years into my fandom that I can remember, you know, the, I've probably started my, my, my age of, of self-realization that I can remember openly rooting for the Steelers was probably Super Bowl thirteen, the one where Jackie Smith dropped the touchdown pass in the back of the end zone against the Cowboys. Um, but that was, for me personally, John, that was the first team as a kid that I really felt acutely not just the joy of winning championships, but the um, the disappointment or the despair of watching your team age and getting older like that was the first team that I ever rooted for that got old on me you know that oh my god Terry Bradshaw blew out his elbow he's done Franco Harris is playing for the Seahawks now what the hell is going on who is this Bubby Brister Mark Malone that's coming in and replacing these guys like when you're nine and ten years old you think they're superheroes and they're gonna play forever and so when I think of the Steelers I get a lot of emotions especially about Franco Harris today because of his passing but that, for me personally, like, that was the first team I really ever loved and rooted for and experienced the whole arc that you get with a team. And, and to your point, they kept that whole team together. Like, they had all aged and retired, scattered around for different teams. But by and large, you know, people forget Franco played for the Seahawks for one year. By and large, they're, they're you know, they're all, say by and large, like practically all of them, Mike Webster and and, and Mel Blunt and Terry Bradshaw and, you know, Stallworth and Swan. Steelers for life, man.
1: They uh they were a class act too. Not all, they they had a great rivalry. In fact, Franco told me he said our toughest rivalry was the with the Oilers, not the Raiders. He mm-hmm. said the Raiders was the dirtiest. He said, but with the Oilers playing for the division, trying to get to the Super Bowl. And I'll never forget after the first championship game up there, a guy on they were storming the field, somebody stole Bum Phillips Cowboy hat. And one of the Steelers, I think is Jack Lambert, went and got it back. The next year, somebody stole Bum's cowboy hat. They couldn't get the guy. So Bum received like 400 cowboy hats in the mail from Steelers fans that that uh, sent him to the Oiler offices, and he donated. And it was a year before that, before the Love You Blue Oilers, the Bengals, uh, to, to win the AFC Central, the Bengals needed to beat the Oilers. And if the Bengals lost to the Oilers, the Steelers won the division. And the Oilers beat them under Bum Phillips. Mm-hmm. And one of the things the Steelers did, they said everybody in the organization, top to bottom, briefcases made out of football, you know, pigskin, monogram. And, boy, it was weird seeing all those Oilers carrying the exact same briefcase for about <laughs> two years.
2: That's wild. That's 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 crazy. Um, Are they the model franchise, John, the Steelers?
1: I think the way they went about it, the Rooney showed patience with Chuck Noll. They showed patience with Bradshaw. You know, Joe Gilliam was starting games when Bradshaw got benched because Terry struggled on a bad team, and he had come from a small college. And the only Steeler, I think, who will have – his death will have a bigger impact will be Terry Bradshaw, their quarterback who led them to the four Super Bowls and threw the pass for the Immaculate Reception. He had a love-hate relationship with Chuck Knoll. He also had a love-hate relationship with Pittsburgh and didn't go back for a long time than he did when Mike Webster went in the Hall of Fame. But when Terry goes, that one is going to hit them even harder. And Joe Green will, too. You yep. know, Joe was the cornerstone from North Texas. And Joe, who lives in Duncanville, comes to Houston a lot because he's a of the Grand Iron Legends of Texas, and Joe's married to Kenny Houston's sister in law. And so he spends a lot of time here. And when Joe dies, his will also have a humongous impact. And I'll tell you a quick story about Joe Green. I started to tweet this and everything. Now, I know Joe a little, but not well enough to do this. When Robert Brazil went to the Hall of Fame, they honored him uh, at the Improv. And there were all these ex-Oilers from the Love You Blue era. And Joe Green, and they were all wearing their their Hall of Fame jackets. And Joe was sitting there with Kenny and some other Oilers with their wives at a table. So they started playing the song, Houston Oilers Number 1. And so all the fans there, there were about 500 people there. And the Oilers were stomping their foot, clapping their hands. And I looked over and I told my wife, Carol, look at Joe Green singing Houston Oilers, number one, clapping his hands and stomping his foot. I ought to take a picture of that and tweet it. She <laughs> said, you better think twice before you do that. So I didn't. I Wisely, I did not do it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, thankfully, thankfully. Well, um, that's so the sad news today, the passing of, of, of Franco Harris. John, that scene. Um, at whatever they're calling Heinz Field these days. I know they changed the name of it. Um, that scene at the game this weekend is going to be – it was already going to be something else if Franco were were still with us, that it's a posthumous ceremony and documentary that's coming out is um, just adds a whole other layer of emotion to this thing.
1: If I were still covering the NFL for the Chronicle, I'd go up there and cover it because so many things – Would be good to write and talk about besides the actual game itself. Yeah. But you talk about bitter, bittersweet, celebrating a dynasty, a life of Frank O'Harris, a greatest play in NFL history, maybe the best in sports history. And then here's Frank O'Harris just died. It's gonna be so emotional.
0: Yeah, big time, big time. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential?
2: All right, John, the other bit of news that came down overnight as I'm driving, as I'm literally going to pick up my son to drive into the airport at three in the morning this morning, I'm in the car and I'm I'm listening to, uh, it might've been CBS sports radio, but whatever, there was a sports flash and it said, Carlos Correa, 12 years, $315 million to the Mets, to which I said, okay, did I eat the wrong mushrooms last night? Like did it April like,
1: 1st? Yeah,
2: exactly. Right, exactly. John, I'm like, what year is it? Um, but this is where we are the the San Francisco Giants kind of balk at the deal based on s- some things they saw in the in the physical in the medicals with Carlos Correa and that opened the door for Carlos Correa to basically say well I'm going to go to New York who was they were sort of in on Carlos reportedly at the 11th hour before he signed the deal with San Francisco the difference is here aside from the coast he's going to be playing on the deal is smaller, slightly. Twelve years, three hundred fifteen million instead of thirteen years, three hundred fifty million. So Carlos's family will be fine. Everybody, don't you know? No need to worry. Um, the the big thing is he's going to be playing third base for the New York Mets, which I found interesting. I guess just your thoughts on the Carlos Correa story.
1: I'm like you when I got up, I saw John Amon, the New York Post had a story yesterday with the Mets owner Steve Cohen talking about how he really wanted to get Correa is kind of the cherry on top of the Sunday, but he signed, you know, he signed with the Giants. Nobody thought there's going to be anything wrong. And that was his wish list. He gets him his luxury tax is going to be more just a tax than third of the team's payrolls in Major League Baseball.
2: Yep. Yep. John, yeah, I got the numbers from Jeff Passan. Uh Jeff Passan had an article. The Mets – are going to have a payroll once this Correa deal is done. The Mets payroll. Have you seen this number, John? Uh yes,
1: I have seen it. But go 300, ahead. It's...
2: 384 million. Their payroll. He's going to pay
1: 50 million in luxury tax.
2: That's No, I saw 111 million in luxury. 111? Wow. 111 million in luxury tax he's going to be paying. Yeah. According to Jeff Passan. So he's so the total outlay For player expense, salaries and luxury tax is going to be just short of $500 million, which is $150 million more than the previous high, which I'm guessing was one of the Dodger teams of the last couple of years. Um, That's nuts. And that's something... And I know that there's owners. I think there's an owner in this town that looks at it this way, like that the Mets the, the Mets are not part of the same ecosystem and market that these other teams exist in.
1: They're spending in their own stratosphere right now. Yeah, it's just like Deshaun Watson's contract, 230 million guaranteed. That's not that's not something that's standard. And it's interesting too. Remember Lamar Jackson battled himself? He hadn't played worth a darn and he's injured. Can't wait. To, I think they'll end up franchising him. Mm-hmm. But the thing on Correa going to third, one of his closest friends is Francisco Lindor. And I'm wondering if his contract has something to do with Lindor's contract. You know, Correa has never wanted to go to third base. Yeah. And you know, he's not a rod, he's a shortstop. He wants to play shortstop, and I'm sure he'll be really good at third. But uh, you know he didn't have a great season. You look at his numbers. Jeremy Pena had as many homers and RBIs. He just didn't have his high an average. And Correa, I'll be interested up there now. Uh, when they play the Yankees, play the Mets. You know he'll get booed like crazy by the Yankee fans. Yeah. And of course, the Mets fans will love him.
2: Yeah. I'm John. I'm glad you said that. I you know it's. I struggle to say this outright on the radio because it comes across – it can sound like sour grapes, but we're a year removed from Correa now, and the Astros are still winning World Series without Correa. So I I I'm, I think Carlos is a little overrated. You know, like I think he's never been an elite offensive shortstop. He is an elite defensive shortstop. And I, I just – I think it's better that for him that he goes to a loaded Mets team than to try to be the – the foundation of the Giants. I think there was going to be a lot of pressure there. The, the Giants were viewing him as a guy that they were going to build around. I don't think – I think if Carlos Correa is your, your your best player, like clearly your best player. Like he was – he might have been the Astros' best player in 2021, but there were plenty of other guys who were right there with him. You know, there's there's a half dozen other guys who are on the same level as Carlos that year. If he's clearly your best player and you're building around him, I, I you know – I think he was going to be set up to be for that contract to be under heavy, heavy scrutiny now that it's just blending into the tapestry of a bunch of crazy contracts. And it sounds weird to say this because he's going to be in New York. I think there's less pressure on him in New York than there would have been in San Francisco.
1: Uh, one of the things I miss about him going to San Francisco is playing the Dodgers all the time. Yeah, and yeah, and that that rivalry. But thing is, he missed a bunch of games last year. The yep. year before was a contract year, so he was healthy. And if he doesn't play, you know, he can play and not be and be mediocre. But if he doesn't play because he's hurt all the time, that's when he's going to hear it from the fans and the media.
2: Are the Astros still the favorite? In your mind, not on the betting board, are they still? Uh, did you ever do you view them as the favorite to win the world series before and after this Carlos deal?
1: Yeah, I don't think Correa moves the needle for a team winning a world series. I yeah. mean, let's let's look at you know, Verlander obviously helps their rotation, mm-hmm. but DeGrom and Scherzer spit the bit in the playoffs. Yep, and Verlander wasn't really good, was very just got by in the World Series, and when you spend that kind of money, there's only one thing you can do to make it worthwhile, which is win a World Series. Now, maybe if they'd lost the World Series, but the Mets were like – they were a huge disappointment in the playoffs.
2: And that's the thing, John. They're in a division – like the Astros are in a division where they can feel pretty safe that even if they take a few steps backwards talent-wise, they're still going to win the division. I know Seattle's coming, and they're a good team. Um, but the Astros are still a clear cut favorite in the division, the Mets, and maybe this is why they're one of the reasons they're doing this is so they, they can actually win the division and not get stuck playing a wild card series, uh, you know, be one of the top two seeds instead of have, you know, losing t- two out of three to, to some other wild card team, but man, they're in a division where Philly went to the world series last year. Atlanta went to the World Series the year before and they're still a really really good. Both those teams are still really really good and the Phillies made moves. They signed Trey Turner this offseason. You know, the the Phillies aren't afraid to spend money. Maybe not Mets money, but they're, you know, they'll they'll always have a, a good roster. Um I mean, there's a chance they're spending almost 400 million dollars on salary to finish third in their division this
1: year. I think that Jim Crane uh, he told us publicly he wanted a couple of bats. He's got one bat Jose Abreu, I'm still hoping they will trade for a center fielder like Brian Reynolds of the Pirates, who's under control for three more years and wants out. And don't give them anybody on the current roster. Give them young guys who are in the minors, mid-level, whatever, and get a center fielder. And I don't know what they're going to do for a backup catcher. Maybe they're going to go with Corey Lee and that other young guy behind Maldi. But uh, you know you have faith in what they do based on how it worked out with Pena. But because of their pitching staff, best bullpen in baseball, six deep starters, they still got to be the favorite.
2: They got to be the favorite. And look, there this you know this time of year is not the only market to improve your team. You know the Astros are very very adept and have been adept at improving their team in season. So I like the backup catcher thing. I yeah I'm disappointed in that. I would love to have seen Vasquez come back. But they picked up Vasquez at the trade deadline for a couple prospects. You know what I mean? Like they're they, they, they that that market will be there. The center field thing, I'm with you. If they can find a difference maker in center field, no disrespect to Chas McCormick, that would be um, that would be awfully nice. But yeah, that's uh, I think early June is when the uh, Mets are coming to town. So that can you, that, that already has a juice with Verlander and Correa. Now.
1: Can you imagine when if you have Alvarez and left Tucker and right? They've outlawed the shift. I saw a stat this week that the Astros lost more hits to the shift than any team in baseball. And I'll bet you Tucker and Alvarez uh, were most of them. And then if they get a legitimate center fielder and you got Brantley as the DH and uh, and then you got that infield, that is, boy, there would be no weak links, no automatic outs under Maldonado.
2: Nope. No, nope. yeah, that, it'd be amazing. It's going to be fun e- either way. I mean, even if they don't make the move for a center fielder, that one through six is a pretty sporty one through six. I mean, those are those are six really, really productive professional, like just I say one through seven. Really, now that they're bringing Brantley back too, you know, that's 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 uh, yeah. They go get a center fielder, John. There, other than catcher, there's not an easy out in the lineup. That would be you, uh, something
1: else. Now, tell you what, they don't have. They don't have a Diaz or a Gonzalez who can play multiple positions, and start at any time. There's got to be somebody out there. I didn't know who who Almedes Diaz was, yeah. and I wonder if he had stunk it up so bad in the playoffs if he would have. They would have brought him back, although he ended up getting what six million a year from the A's.
0: Oh, did he? I, I yeah, it seen was that. an
1: unbelievable contract. Oh, wow. yeah, was, <laughs> that he was. I think that's what it was. Two year deal,
0: yeah. and.
1: uh it was something, you know, for somebody to sign with the A's, it's got to be money because they're by far the worst team. But they do have to get somebody that can come in and start at just about any position other than catcher, which is something Diaz did a really good job of. And he was a pretty good hitter until he got to the postseason.
2: Yeah, they, yeah, he did sign with the A's. Uh I gotta look and see what the money was on that. If there, if, if
1: it was six million a year. Let's see. No, it's more.
2: 14 and a half million oh Oh my years.
1: goodness hey john His the agent, agent you talk we talking about scott boris whoever his agent is did the best job in negotiating in the offseason john the a's paying someone seven million a year he's going to be an everyday player for them <laughs> he, well it shouldn't be too difficult
2: no no to crack that lineup oh i haven't even seen that that flew under the radar for me well i guess yuli's still out there they do have mauricio dubon i'm not saying dubon's anything great but he you know he he's got some utility aspects to him but yeah that Finding somebody who's got maybe a more capable bat than Dubon would be good. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So
0: download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a Happy Price, go to your Happy Price, Priceline.
2: All right, so John, let's get to it. Here, we've got two more things we got to accomplish. We got to do a pregame six pack on the Texans and the Titans. We got to do a little for real or fugazi on NFL and other topics. So let's get right to it. Texans, Titans. As far as the back, the backstory on this game, it's looking like Ryan Tannehill is going to miss this game. He did not practice on Wednesday. Um, he he suffered a nasty ankle injury in that loss to the Chargers where he was carted off the field, um, came back in that game, but he's clearly gimpy. The spread is down to four and a half. It was seven earlier this week when Tannehill had not been announced as being doubtful or out for this game. Titans minus four and a half. This is as tight a road spread as the Texans have had in a long, long time, before we get into the pregame six-pack, is there anything that's, does the do the results over the last two weeks with the Texans where it's been close but no cigar, does that give you confidence that they can play the Titans close this week? We'll do a, an actual prediction later, but what are your general feelings on this game before we get into the pregame six-pack?
1: I think that their games will be close. That first one was seven points, even though they were dominated to the point of embarrassment, and Malik Willis can't throw the ball. I mean, he was terrible. He's had two starts. He beats the Texans by seven. He beats. He loses to the uh, Chiefs in Kansas City by three. In that game, he was five of 16 for 80 oh. yards. He ran eight times for four. He only ran five times for 12 yards against the Texans. I'm guessing he's going to run more because even Derrick Henry needs a relief every now and then. And as long as Derrick Henry's healthy, and he is with his four consecutive 200-yard games, you know, he may run 35 times. And between him and Willis, they may run 45 times.
2: Mm. All right, so let's let's get into the pregame six-pack. Six Six people, storylines, wrinkles to watch in this game, and then we'll give you our prediction on the game. Uh, John, as always, you go first.
1: A key player, okay, when the Texans get – to Nashville on Friday, it's supposed to be in single digits, the low. And then when they kick off, it's going to be in the teens. And then in the high, it's supposed to get up to 23, but it's going to be cold. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to run the ball. And think about it. The Titans have Derrick Henry, and the Texans should have Royce Freeman. I wrote a thing about Royce Freeman uh for sportsradio 610.com. Uh he in 2018 his rookie year he rushed for 521 yards and five touchdowns. Next year he didn't start any for the Broncos but he ran for 496, and three he also caught 43 passes. Now uh, his last last year he was on the practice squad of the Panthers and the Texans. He actually got 35 carries for the Texans, 92 yards, 2.6 average. He was by far the best runner on the team against the Chiefs. We all Mm -hmm. saw it. If Pep Hamilton doesn't give him his first start since his rookie year of 2018, there should be an investigation. And uh, give Royce Freeman 15, 20 carries and see what he can do.
2: Okay, so there should be an investigation and we can put it on the long list of things that Pep Hamilton needs to be investigated for this season as the OC of the Texans.
1: Absolutely.
2: I I feel like there if we're investigating Pep Hamilton for everything questionable that he's done, I feel like we've got like one of those backlogs like the New York Police Department has where, you know, the case just sits there for a while because they've got so many cases that they're investigating right now. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, we're still working on Burkhead getting nineteen touches in week one. Are you go? we got we got to do a week sixteen investigation right now. Um, and
1: order starring Pep Hamilton.
2: Law and order pH. Yes. <laughs> oh man, yeah, dun, 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 dun. Um, all right, John, my first one, pregame game six pack. Malik Collins. Malik Collins has been a beast the last couple of weeks. He almost single-handedly changed the complexion of the AFC playoff race last week by tossing Patrick Mahomes down on his head uh, almost um, enough toss Patrick Mahomes down hard enough for Mahomes to get up looking at the referee, like he was playing in the NBA or something like that. Um, Malik Collins has been really good. And here's the thing, Derek Henry, as you know, routinely runs for 200 yards or more against the Texans. He's done it four straight times. He averages 7.4 yards per carry in those four games against the Texans. When these two teams played back in week eight, Malik Collins, injured he did not play in that game Malik Collins is their best run defender and he's been playing really really well this season so my first one to watch is Malik Collins actually getting a shot at this thing as opposed to week eight when he was out
1: well he has been their best defensive player the last few games ahead of Jalen Petrie and uh but even the Chiefs went into that game and they rushed for what 189 yards. They did, and that was with Isaiah Pacheco leading the way and Patrick Mahomes contributing 33. The one thing about the Titans, you know Hilliard, who used to be here, he's he's hurt the Texans as well. Mm-hmm. So they're they may not throw the ball five times in Tennessee with Malik Willis, who in that first game threw it ten, completed six for 55. Yards, no touchdowns, one interceptions, and three sacks. So hopefully Malik Willis can lead an improved performance in run defense.
2: What's your next one, John?
1: My next one is also going to be a defense, Jalen Petrie. Petrie's been playing really well since he's at free safety. They're going to need his run support. You know, it's ridiculous to me if you've got Malik Willis to play too deep coverage because you're not going to have many balls thrown in front of you. Commit to stopping Derrick Henry, not stopping him. They're not going to do that, but containing him. You know, if they keep him to what, 150 yards, it's successful, under 100, it's astonishing. But they need to put eight guys in a box and dare Malik Willis to throw the ball. And I look for Jalen Petrie to have a big game, especially against the run. And right now, Malik, Malik, uh, Collins and Jalen Petrie are their two best defensive players.
2: Yeah, they yeah, Petrie's been awesome. He's it's really been fun to watch him this season. That that's I think that's gonna turn out to be a great pick um by Nick Casario. My next one is whoever lines up across from Jeffrey Simmons. We know that in the first game these two teams played, Jeffrey Simmons gave Kenyon Green fits, ooh, as did ooh. the next several interior defenders that Kenyon Green Went against. I guess the the reason I say whoever goes up against him is because as of Wednesday, Green was still on the injury list as being out for practice. And if you're he he, so this was Tuesday. It was just a walkthrough. But if he's out for a walkthrough, then on Tuesday before the game, the game's on Saturday. Then I don't feel great about the chances of him playing in this particular game. Um, So if that's the case, we're going to get to see Titus Howard at left guard. And that was a pleasant surprise from the Chiefs game. Every time they've tried Titus Howard at guard before, and these times they've done it before, have felt like they've done it with the longer picture in mind. And as it turned out, he makes for a better right tackle than a left guard. But I thought he played pretty well against Chris Jones in the interior of the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm kind of anxious to see Titus go against Jeffrey Simmons. I still think his future with this team is at tackle. Um, But it's been... The, the, it, that was cool last week to see Titus who really struggled at left guard every other time he's been there um, to, to put in some good work against the chiefs. So I'll look forward to that, watching that left side of the offensive line do work either way. If it's Kenyon green, it's worth watching because we need to see him put some good snaps together as a rookie. If it's Titus Howard, it's worth watching because he was pretty good last week at left guard.
1: Yeah. I don't expect green to play. And, and they used that earlier. They put Justin McRae. He's awful. Making a move, George Warhop, the line coach, making a move of putting Howard left guard and Charlie Eck at right tackle. Charlie, of course, has starting experience each year he's been in the NFL. They were a much better offensive line against a really good Chiefs defense. The Texans have given up one sack in three games, and that was Jeff Driscoll's fault and they've gone up against some good pass rushers. Chris Jones, the Chiefs, being the last one, Micah Parsons and Miles Garrett before that. This offensive line is playing really well. Uh, Unfortunately, Damian Pierce is on IR. He's not getting to take advantage of it. But uh, I think that as long as Kenyon Green's out, and I do think he needs to come back if he's healthy and get all the snaps he can get mm-hmm. because he started fast and then went straight down to tubes, and it began with Jeffrey Simmons. Simmons, you know, they could move him over AJ Cann. He and AJ Cann went at it every year that uh, AJ Cann was in Jacksonville, and so I don't think Jeffrey Simmons is going to be dominating. Uh, He's good, and he's going to make big plays, but I don't see him dominating to the point of humiliation like he did against Kenyon Green.
2: All right, what's your last one,
1: John? Davis Mills. Davis Mills – Uh, Had two touchdown passes, a touchdown rushing on a 17-yard run, the longest of his career. He had that fumble in overtime that cost them the victory. I've watched that multiple times. He was not carrying the ball the right way for anybody, not just a quarterback, and he can't do it. That would have been, even though not yardage-wise, because he didn't throw much, he completed fifty percent, but productivity—that was the best. The Titans are beatable. They've lost four games in a row. They got injuries on both sides of the ball. Both out. Both their lines are injuries. So Davis Mills needs to play a turnover-free game.
2: Yep, and I'll I'll build off of that, John. If, if Davis Mills plays a turnover-free game, when they put the ball in his hands, and he's going to throw, and he's going to. He's going to have to throw in this game for, for, for them to win. Cause I, you know, while I like Royce Freeman too, he did some nice things last week. My guess is they're going to find themselves in and medium to long situations. And Davis Mills is going to have to make a play. Um, I'm going to bundle Chris Moore and Amari Rogers together and see if they can continue to build on some of the things that, that they did. Chris Moore has been fun to watch these last couple of weeks, watch him, you know, especially with Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins, Brandon Cooks, limited with the calf on the injury report i'm not expecting him to play ever again as a houston texan um and then nico collins still out according to wednesday or, uh, i say i keep saying wednesday it's tuesday's injury report because everything's pushed up a day because of of uh of of saturday um you and i are recording this on wednesday before the wednesday injury report comes out and my guess is not much changes with these guys who are who were out yesterday for a walkthrough, but we'll see. Um, so mine are the 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 wide receivers that have had to kind of pick up the slack in the absence of Collins and Cooks, because I think both of them are guys that uh, could crack this rotation next year, even if they go and draft a wide receiver or two, because um, Cooks isn't going to be around anymore. Hopefully Collins is healthy. Uh, But Moore's done some good things, and Amari Rogers is still only in year two of his rookie deal. So it makes sense to bring him back. He's still cheap labor for this team.
1: And to remind people, the reason he was cut by Green Bay was because he fumbled on punt return. Yeah, just don't put him back there to return punts. They don't need him to return punts and let him play in the slot. And I agree on Chris Moore. They need Nico Collins to come back. Nico's been hurt too much. You know, they're going to need to get a big play receiver in the offseason. And but Nico could sure solve a problem, but he's had injuries both years. He needs to come back and he needs to play. I don't care if it's just the last game against the Colts. They don't need him to be shut down like they've done some other guys, Damian Pierce and Derek Stingley. Yeah. But you're right. I I think Chris Moore. If you look surprises of veterans, his performance here recently is he's taken advantage. Of those injuries to Cooks and Collins, and has looked pretty darn good.
2: Yep, he sure has. All right, John, what's your prediction for the game?
1: I'm going to pick the Titans win this game, 16 to 13. 16, 13.
2: I got Texans 20, Titans 19. I'm picking the Ooh, upset, John. Oh, wow! I'm, I'm picking the upset. Let's see what happens. But you and I well, both—they
1: won up there last year.
2: You and I both have the Texans covering the spread at the very least. So
1: I'm pretty but, sure that Malik Wills not going to throw four interceptions like. uh, like uh, Ryan Tannehill did up John, last year. Malik Willis might not throw four passes. Game. <laughs> <laughs> That's the seven. way Mike Vrabel
2: loves it. He, did, he sure did the first time these two teams played. And it was not six degrees the first time these two teams played, like it's going to be or whatever, nine degrees, whatever it's going to be. All right, John, you ready to do a few uh, rapid-fire For Real or Fugazis? I'm always ready. All right, so For Real or Fugazi, for those of you new to the podcast, I've got some sentences here. I've got some statements that I'm making. And John McClain says that uh, he either agrees, says uh, that is For Real, or if it's something that he disagrees with, he says that it is? Or it's Fugazi. Fugazi, yes. Thank you very much. All right, um, so let's uh, let's let's start with the – uh, the NFL ones first, um, John, the Texans sent an email out to their fans, including my wife, who's a season ticket holder soliciting season ticket sales. Uh, they sent it out yesterday. There's a graphic as part of that email. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a, have you seen the picture that's in that email,
1: John? You showed it to me.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, so there's a picture there. And it's a, what Seth called a goose formation, sort of a triangle with one player standing at the forefront as um as the you know kind of the the head of the arrow there, the front and center person on that picture, that graphic was Damian Pierce. For real or for John, Damian Pierce is the face of the Texans organization.
1: Absolutely. He's their best rookie, Jalen Jalen Petrie's second best rookie. And Pierce would have been on the pace for 1,227 yards if he hadn't gone on IR. And because he's also got a great personality and the media loves him and gives him a lot of attention and he's going to get more in the offseason and training camp, I think, absolutely. Now, the number one big, if he's a quarterback, he's going to be the franchise, but not when it comes to selling tickets this next season.
2: No doubt. I thought the same thing. I'm like, man, this picture is awesome. It's really cool to see Damian Pierce getting that kind of love. He had Stingley and Petrie flanked on either side of him. So the front three guys in there were the three most – prominent rookies in this class I would say and before you go well Christian Harris has been good what about Kenyon Green they were both in the picture as well they were a little further back in the picture Um, so they're really leaning into this rookie class but I'm with you I'm like you know who would look really good on the the very front of that goose formation Bryce Young speaking of which John for real or Fugazi Bryce Young playing in the bowl game the sugar bowl will improve his draft stock in the eyes of Nick Casario
1: Fugazi that sounds great for fans and me he a point like this, but if he stayed out, nobody's going to hold it against him. They already know he's a great kid. He's got integrity, charisma, personality, leadership ability. And while it's a fun thing to write and talk about, ultimately, time to draft rolls around. I don't think the only thing will be brought up is, man, he
2: was lucky he didn't get hurt hmm Along those lines, John, the number one overall pick, this is a for real or fugazi. As long as we know that the Texans are changing coaches at the end of the year. So let's assume, regardless of what happens, these final three games, they're gonna change the coach. Sweeping the final three games against Tennessee, Jacksonville, and Indianapolis, and winding up with the number two overall pick would be better than losing all three and winding up with the number one overall pick. For real or fugazi? Um
1: uh, I'm um uh... Let's see, did you say it's better if they lose them and get the first pick? It's
2: better, no, it's better if they go, it's, it would be better Fugazi. if they
1: went. no, Fugazi. they need the first pick where you got a choice of trades, you got a choice of players. There's a big difference in having that first pick and having the second pick because the player you want may be gone. So yeah. get the first pick.
2: Okay. But even sweeping those three divisions,
1: players. Did...
2: <laughs> I knew it. Uh, John Farrell or Fugazi? The Drizzy Cat is dead.
1: Fugazi. I think Pat Hamilton thinks it's creative. I think he'll still do it. He may not do it much, might maybe like it was early in the season yep. when he carried a couple of times. But right now, defenses are on to him. They say, okay, you guys watch him cut up field. You guys set the edge and throw him for a loss. And mm-hmm. plus Driscoll didn't play very smart in the game against the Chiefs. It should be dead, but it's time to go for Davis Mills again full time. But I don't think Pep Hamilton will. I think we'll see more of Dreskel, just not as much.
2: Yeah, yeah, maybe very specific situations as opposed to coming in to begin a series on first and 10 or something like that. Ugh. Yeah, I agreed. Uh. Um, all right, John, um, the Lions are seven and seven. The Packers are six and eight. They play each other in week 18. For real the Fugazi. that game will be essentially a play-in game for a wild card spot. Where do, do, you th- do you want where to know? Do you want to know their play? schedules? Yeah, they, the, the the Lions are seven and seven and play Carolina and Chicago, so they're probably going to be nine and seven. The Packers are six and eight, but they play Miami and Minnesota the next couple of weeks.
1: Well, if if it's where do they play the game?
2: At Miami, Christmas Day.
1: And no, no. For- where where do they play the Packers? Oh, that's at Green Bay. Okay, I think. Okay, what's that? It'll be a play-in. It'll
2: just be a play. You don't have to think it'll get easy?
1: Okay. No, I think that it won't be. I think Detroit is going to get that last spot, and if it is a game to make the playoffs, I think Detroit's going to win it because there's something magical about the Lions as they try to return to the playoffs where they've lost nine in a row, haven't won since '91, and before that, they haven't won a playoff game since the '50s. Who doesn't? Love
2: the Lions. I love the Lions, and look. And Aaron Rodgers can be insufferable, but as someone who likes watching good football in the playoffs, I, you know Aaron Rodgers is obviously very watchable. That would be something else if they're six and eight right now. Um, you know they won that game on Monday night uh, at Miami, home for Minnesota, and then home for the Lions. I mean, those are three teams that are Miami's been a little off kilter lately. But those are you know those are three teams that are in the playoff mix if the Packers ran the table to get to nine and eight and make the postseason that'd be kind of fun actually but I'm with you I like the Lions the Lions are fun
1: that'd be a great story I love yeah. any game at this time of year in Lambeau Field
2: no it's doubt winter, no doubt a
1: winter wonderland and I hope that that happens because man it would put so much interest on that latin that last game and some of these races may be over
2: yeah, absolutely. All right, um, for real or for Realer it looks like Gardner Minshew is going to get a chance to start this weekend, John, against the Cowboys. For real or for Gardner Minshew will be a starting quarterback in the NFL somewhere next season.
1: Okay, easy. he's a career backup just like Cooper Rush even though he played at Jacksonville and he had some good games at Jacksonville but I think most people would view him as a as a a a good backup quarterback.
2: He could be a, what if he were a bridge guy? What if instead of using the number 1 overall pick on a quarterback they used it on Anybody, Will Anderson, you
1: talking about the Texans, Minshew, bridge quarterback? John, Minshew is a draft, draft Will Levis, draft Will Levis with the 13th pick. Tony Soprano needs to take you out back and whip your ass. (laughs) I
2: just like hearing you say Fugazi. Um, all right, John, for real or Fugazi? I'm just gonna say for the immaculate reception, was it for real? Or was it Fugazi? Should it should was it a legal play? Should it cause Raider fans everywhere have been squawking for fifty years about how um it it was a Fugazi play? What's your opinion? Is the Immaculate Reception, for real or Fugazi?
1: It was for real. When you watch the end zone and you put it in super slow motion, to me, you can see the ball hit Tatum in the chest, not Frenchie Fuquai in the helmet without hitting uh, uh, Tatum as well.
2: Yeah, and we should point out a lot of our listeners may not know that back then If it had hit Fuquay, the Steelers running back who the ball was intended for, then by rule, Franco Harris would not have been allowed to catch the football, right? Right. It's, yeah. it's
1: amazing to me, the big plays the Raiders have been involved in games, the Heidi game in 1968, the Tuck game, yep. this last un- extraordinary finish that we'll never see again, the Raiders and the Patriots. Yeah. And, and in that one, an immaculate reception, Kenny Stabler had just run for a touchdown. Everybody thought the game was over. And I often wondered, why in the hell did they have a rule that two guys couldn't touch the ball? uh consecutively without yeah. a defensive player touching it and they got rid of it shortly after that but i never wondered what the mindset was of a rule like that but uh, i've watched it so many times and i'm gonna watch the football life on the immaculate. oh i can't Perception wait and franco errors again even though i've been seeing it since it happened in 1972 when i was a freshman in college
2: Can't wait for that. All right, last one, John. Carlos Correa, as we talked about earlier, signs a 12-year, $315 million deal with the New York Mets. For real or for moving Carlos Correa to third base is the right move for his future and thus the right move for the Mets.
1: he's only doing it because they got Francisco Lindor his close friend at short he's never wanted to go to third he's always said he's a shortstop and he might be better than Lindor but he's only doing it for the money and I don't blame him I love Correa good luck I hope that they get a chance to play the Astros in the World Series I do too that would be the ultimate and then kick Correa and Verlander and Steve Cohen's Ashes.
2: yes yes no i agree well, john i guess just devil's advocate on that because i'm with you I, I think paying carlos correa that much money to have him play third base is a little counterintuitive to me like he the reason you're signing him is because he's like his superhero power is his shortstop defense not his just arm his arm and his ability like i compared him uh today on our show to aaron Rodgers, like the ability to make throws from any angle and there's no change in velocity like it's it's humming coming out of his hand I guess the counter-argument, other than he's just doing it for the money, would be that third base is a less taxing position. You know, for a guy who's injury-prone, there's less wear and tear playing third than there might be covering all that ground at shortstop.
1: Could be. I mean, he missed a lot of games last year. He's missed a lot of games in his career. Hopefully he'll stay healthy. Never missed another game, but, boy, good for him good for the mets it's great for baseball great for the yankees and the mets and i can't wait to see the astros play them and i if there's a god they'll play them in the playoffs and they will beat Justin Verlander and Carlos Correa
2: yeah other than the giants dodgers dynamic in the whole thing this one is more fun cuz there's just more juice to it you know correa being in new york it's just it 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 adds juice to the yankees mets rivalry um it adds juice to the National League East, which I think is a is a really compelling division. The last two World Great Series division. teams. Great. Yeah, yeah, have come from have come from that division. And I, I think it'd be I think a World Series involving the Mets once the Astros get to the world series again, is a much more compelling watch than if they were playing the giants with Carlos Correa. Cause you have Verlander oh, and Correa as part of it.
1: Absolutely. Bring on spring training.
2: No doubt. No doubt. John, what do you got going on this holiday season?
1: I have on sportsradio 610.com, a, uh, column about, uh, how much this means to Tennessee, the weather, the running games about Royce Freeman needs to start. And then I'm going to have a column on, uh, for uh, Gallerysports.com that if this were the Wild West, Derrick Henry's picture would be drawn on wanted posters (laughs) all over the Houston area.
2: I love that. I love that. Good stuff.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All
2: right. We got to give a big thanks to uh, Figgy Fig for getting this podcast out to all of you. Big thanks to all of you for listening. Um, You know, if you're looking for a New Year's resolution or a holiday initiative, telling friends about the utopia football podcast would be just a delightful one um let them know how much you enjoy it subscribe hit that subscribe button so that you don't have to do anything to get this podcast It just winds up on your phone or uh, downloads automatically to your computer or wherever you get your podcasts it's it's that easy and if you are so inclined if you feel like we're doing a good job tell us so give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast john a very merry christmas to you and carol and uh And uh, to to many more episodes of this podcast, you and I will not be doing one following the Titans game just because it's Christmas Eve night, Christmas day, the next day. And then, off on Monday. So, we're going to take a one podcast hiatus unless something super crazy and silly happens. Lovey Smith gets fired on Christmas Day or something like that. Then we'll do an emergency episode. But barring what that, if we, the
1: Texans win the game? Then are we going to do
2: one? I already predicted that. So, if, if I'm predicting it, obviously I would have scheduled a podcast because I always think I'm going to be right, <laughs> even though I'm rarely right. Um, so um, so 95% there will be no Monday episode So be warned about that But there will be a mailbag episode next week mailbag at gmail.com Is how you can send us emails We've been getting a ton of great emails um, Be part of the, the emailing the show crowd It's been growing more and more each week So we love that um, John, Merry Christmas to you and to Carol Always enjoy working with you Whether it's this podcast or on, on the radio station On Sports Radio 610 I always enjoy it
1: Don, thank you very much. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you and Amy and your families and to all of our listeners.
2: Absolutely. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to all of you out there listening. For the Hall of Famer, John McClain, I am Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week with the Week 17 content. Enjoy the holidays, everybody.